turning in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19, we want to read at verse 12. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any beside son-in-law, and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask You to speak to us from Your Word today. We pray that in this wonderful season when we remember and we celebrate the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, we pray that You would help us to see the eternal importance of being ready for His soon second coming. To that end, we pray that You would bless our study of Your Word today. and We ask it. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to begin by thanking thanking all of you who were able to come and take part in the protest against the drag show last Saturday evening. We had a very good turnout. And contrary to the news reports, we had as many people there as the other side did, I believe. And also, contrary to the pilot's false reporting, don't fall over from that surprise, uh, we were not the ones yelling and screaming. The LGBTQ people were the ones spewing the vulgar language and holding the signs with filthy words on them. They were the ones who displayed an aggressive posture toward us. Those on our side quietly held signs. Some prayed, some sang songs, some read Scripture over a megaphone. Yet standing for the Word of God makes us ultra-conservative, right-wing, extremist haters. It also makes us responsible for the attack on the electrical substations that plunged this county into darkness for four days. I googled yesterday just out of curiosity Moore County, North Carolina power outage blamed on drag show protest. And what immediately comes up in a box, the, the, pre, the predominant box there in the right on the screen was this. The hate for the LGBTQ plus community is at an all-time high in Moore County to the point that someone shot up multiple power substations because of an LGBTQ plus drag show set to take place Saturday night. Authorities say the outage began just after 7 p.m. and impacted large parts of Moore County. That was from a website called the North Carolina Beat. 
an article in the Charlotte Observer is about as bad. It begins with the facts that, uh, and it's written after the power was restored, and it tells how customers have their power back. It tells how the outages were the result of intentional damage by firearms to two of the substations. It talks about how it affected more than 35,000 people uh, and caused several accidents. It goes on to say that local, state, and federal law enforcement are investigating a case according to Moore County Sheriff Ronnie Fields. Well, that's the end of the news as it relates to what happened. Frankly, it's all that anybody knows. But that's not the end of the article. Then there's the headline. Was the substation attack related to a drag show? After the attack, some speculated the outages were related to a drag show that was underway at the Sunrise Theater in Southern Pines. But officials have not linked the event to the substation attack that took place Saturday night. The investigation into the attack is ongoing and possible motives, motive, no possible motives have been identified and no suspects have been named. And then it says this, while we don't know the precise motivation behind this attack, extremists in Moore County, that's you, extremists in Moore County have been protesting a drag event to be held in the community at the exact time that power stations were damaged by gunfire. That is a quote from Equality, North Carolina. And then the article goes on from there to give credence to this innuendo by Equality, North Carolina, which purports to be the oldest statewide organization in the country dedicated to securing rights and protections for the LGBTQ community. Folks, we are seeing the fulfillment right before our eyes of the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 17. As it was in the days of Lot, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. You know, we like to look back and think about the people who were living at the time of the fulfillment of the prophecy of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we want to wonder why some of them didn't believe it. Folks, we're living in the fulfillment of the prophecies that are telling us we're right on the doorstep of the Lord Jesus coming again. We're experiencing here in Southern Pines exactly what Lot did in Sodom. And for the same reason. Last Saturday and in the days leading up to this drag show, we spoke the same words to the LGBTQ movement here in Moore County that Lot spoke in Sodom. We spoke the same four words. Do not so wickedly. And we've received the same reaction. The reaction that we see in verse 9. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. 
And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. That's happening right here in Southern Pines. But this morning, we want to see another aspect of the days of Lot that we haven't mentioned before. And they bear directly on what's taking place in this country. And they show us again just how close we are to the return of the Lord Jesus. The thing that we want to talk about this morning is that Lot was married. Lot was married. And that may not seem important, but I believe it is important for us to think about. Look back for just a minute to Genesis chapter 11, if you will. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. We have talked a number of times over the years about how in this verse, the birth order of Terah's sons is reversed. Since Terah was 205 years old when he died, and since Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran after the death of his father, then Abraham was born when Terah was 130. And so the son that was born when Terah was 70 was Haran. And so Haran is the oldest son, then Nahor, then Abram. And so there was 60 years between the time that Haran was born and the time that Abram was born. And in that period, Lot was born. Which means that Lot was older than Abram. Perhaps as much as 30 or 40 years older. And older than Nahor as well. Now, we mention this because in verse 29 here in chapter 11, we see that Abram and Nahor took them wives. And yet there's no mention that the older Lot has taken a wife. I believe it's because he hasn't. No mention of a wife uh, for Lot in chapter 11 and verse 31 where Abram's wife is mentioned. Or in chapter 12 and verse 4. Or in chapter 12 and verse 5, again where Abram's wife is mentioned. She's mentioned concerning being Abram's wife in chapter 13 and verse 1. And all through the rest of chapter 13 where Lot is mentioned, he's always listed by himself, including when he separates from Abram. Chapter 13 and verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes. Verse 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east. Verse 12, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. Chapter 14 and verse 12, And they took Lot who dwelt in Sodom and his goods. And in chapter 14 and verse 16, we read that Abram brought again his brother Lot and his goods. Exactly what the Bible tells us was taken in verse 12. And so in all these references, Lot alone is mentioned. There is no mention of a wife. And I believe it's like that because he did not have a wife. 
He did not have a wife until he married a wife in Sodom. And Lot was not the only one who married in Sodom. His daughters were married in Sodom. We read there in chapter 19 just a few moments ago where the angels mentioned Lot's son-in-laws. His daughters were married there. And this is important to think about because of something that we want to see in the New Testament. We want to see it in Luke chapter 17. If you'll turn over there for just a minute. Luke chapter 17. Um, This little portion of Scripture has been the foundation, I would say, of our studies back in the book of Genesis. But notice what we read in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And what we notice here is that the days of Noah were days of marriage. In fact, marriage between the sons of God, the godly line of Seth, and the daughters of men, the godless line of Cain, is the first thing that is mentioned concerning the days of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. But then when the Lord Jesus describes the days of Lot, He makes no mention of marriage. And it's not because there were no marriages taking place there. There were. as evidenced by the fact that Lot had a wife and he had sons-in-law which married his daughters. So there was marriage in Sodom. But it was not what dominated the society there. And the rarity of marriage and the place that it held in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah is underscored in the book of Jude, the next to the last book in the New Testament. If you'd like to turn over there, it's right before the book of the Revelation. The book of Jude, right after the book of 3 John. Jude only has one chapter. And we want to read verse 7. Jude... And verse 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Again, notice that what is missing As Jude talks about the days of Lot, what is missing is any mention of marriage as God ordained marriage, as God established marriage between a man and a woman. 
So when we put all these verses together, what the Spirit of God is telling us is that from the days of Noah in Genesis chapter 6 to the days of Lot in Genesis chapter 19, marriage had declined in importance. In this time period, it's somewhere uh, 450 or so years, there had been a shift. There had been a change in the lifestyle. And what was the shift? What was the change? What had replaced marriage until it's not even mentioned by the Lord Jesus? That it's not even mentioned by Jude? Well, Jude tells us here in verse 7, Solomon and Gomorrah and the cities about them gave themselves over to two things. Fornication and going after strange flesh. This is the shift. This is the change in lifestyle that produced the decline in marriage. The people of Sodom turned to fornication, illicit sexual relations between an unmarried man and an unmarried woman, or illicit sexual relations between a married man and a married woman, not married to each other. And... The people of Sodom and Gomorrah turned to going after strange flesh. And Paul defines strange flesh in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. That's a definition of strange flesh, going after strange flesh. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. That is what it means to go after strange flesh. It means the LGBTQ movement. It means same-sex marriage. That's the shift. That's the change in lifestyle that caused marriage to decline in importance in the days of Lot. Now I'd like to suggest a thought to you. In the order that we see here in verse 7, the order is not going after strange flesh and fornication. The order is fornication and going after strange flesh. Now that might not seem important, but I believe it is. Because I believe that order suggests that those who identified as LGBTQ were a minority of the population in Sodom. And that makes the sin there all the greater. Because it means that a minority of LGBTQ people had worked and moved and manipulated public opinion through the educational system, through the media, through the politicians, until their lifestyle was approved and recognized to the point that the majority accepted it. Is that not exactly what has happened in America? According to the latest Gallup poll, 7.1% of U.S. adults identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, 
or something other than straight or heterosexual. I want you to think about something. 7.1% of U.S. adults, it's about 18.5 million people, 18.5 million people scattered among 50 states. The effect that they should have on this country should be minuscule, frankly. Now, they could have an impact in a state if they congregated there. But their national influence should be almost non-existent. But it's not. The cause of this 7.1% has been so magnified by the Democrat Party, by the public education system that promotes the LGBTQ movement. Randy Weingarten is the head of the American Federation of Teachers, one of the largest, I guess it may be the largest, uh, teacher union in this country is a lesbian. So it's no wonder that former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called her the most dangerous person in the world. Why did he call her that? Because of the filth that they're teaching our kids. But not only has the cause of this 7.1% been taken up by the Democrat Party and the public education system, it's been taken up by the megaphone of the media. These are just some examples we read this morning. They're not on our side, folks. And the result is that this 7.1% has been able to work and move and manipulate until they have multiplied themselves to the point that a Pew Research poll conducted in 2020 shows that in the United States of America, 72% say homosexuality should be accepted. 72%. So while they make up only 7.1% of the population, they have multiplied themselves more than tenfold so that the political impact of the LGBTQ movement is not 7.1%. It's 72%. It's 188 million people. We saw this last Saturday at the drag show protest. The majority of the crowd protesting on that side were not gays and lesbians and transgenders. I saw two homosexuals who were openly, and I would say disgustingly, displaying their affection for each other. I saw one man who was obviously a transgender. But I made it a point to walk down on the road. We'd been up on the platform and uh, there was a police tape that separated the two groups by 20 feet. But I made a point to walk down on the, on the road there, stay behind the line, to look at the people that were going in there. They were straight. By and large, they were heterosexuals. And many of them were older people. 
all of whom have been won over by this movement. Shelby Steele wrote a book. And in that book, he explains why so many white people accept Black Lives Matter and critical race theory. Why so many white people own themselves white supremacists and and apologize for being white as though they had anything to do with it. He explained it in his book, but he explained it on the cover of the book in the title. The title of his book is White Guilt. White Guilt. Well, what we see in this 72% and what we saw at the sunrise last week is what we can call heterosexual guilt. Normal people who don't want to be called bigots and haters and divisive and extremists like the people who were up there on the platform at the train station. And so they come and they join the LGBTQ protesters and they pay $40 to go to the drag show to prove that they mean no harm to this godless, abominable movement. And I'll tell you, the saddest part of all is that this heterosexual guilt mindset is in the churches of this country. It's in the churches of this county pastor's afraid to preach on it. Pastor's afraid to talk about it because they don't want to be called haters and bigots. They want to be known for love. Folks, the Lord Jesus spoke the truth in love. It's love to tell people the truth. It's hate to enable them and confirm them in their rebellion. I saw one other pastor there at the protest. If I missed others, I apologize. One man who goes to a church with multiple pastors. And this man, it was really a pleasure to get to know him. Uh, He was very enthusiastic for the rally. And we exchanged emails through the week. He helped get the word out about the protest. And he came... And yet he said that he didn't expect any of the multiple pastors of his church to be there. And they weren't. This is how the Disrespect for Marriage Act, this bill that was passed and became the law of the land this week, this bill, this law now that attacks religious freedom, this is how it became the law of the land. These politicians like Tillis and Burr read the polls. And it's not the 7.1% of the population that they would offend if they had voted against the bill. It's potentially 72% of the U.S. population and the North Carolina electorate, electorate that they would offend. And because, frankly, they are unprincipled politicians who stand for nothing, They can't afford to do that. This is why a female, a lesbian, an African-American basketball player was exchanged this week for a notorious Russian arms dealer who deals arms to terrorists, who's known 
in many circles as the merchant of death. We traded Brittany Griner for him instead of a decorated Marine veteran who's been in the Russian prison for four years and it's likely that he's going to stay there because the Biden administration's got nothing else to bargain with. This is the power of the LGBTQ movement in this country. But isn't that what we see in Sodom? Again, notice the order in Jude verse 7. The order is not going after strange flesh and fornication. The order is fornication first and then going after strange flesh. Again, I believe that suggests that those who identified as LGBTQ were a minority of the people in Sodom. I believe it's what we see. Look back. Go back to Genesis chapter 19, if you will. Genesis chapter 19. And look at verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, Notice how the Spirit of God underscores the fact that it's the men of Sodom that can pass the house round, both old and young. May I suggest that's the 7.1% of the homosexuals in Sodom. But they weren't the only ones who came. Notice those next words in verse 4. All the people from every quarter all the people from every quarter. That's the 72% who were not LGBTQ. But they had come to the place where they believed the propaganda that homosexuality was normal and natural, should be accepted. Who am I to judge? Live and let live. And now it's this 79.1% that make up the they and us and we that we see in the next few verses. This is where we are right now in this country. Exactly where the Lord Jesus said we would be in Luke chapter 17. When the Lord Jesus uses the days of Noah to describe the conditions that will exist when He comes again, He's telling us that people will be getting married when He comes. But when he brings in the days of Lot, he's telling us that marriage will be on the decline. He's telling us that there will be a shift, there will be a change in the lifestyle from marriage to the people of this nation giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. And we're seeing it just as this book prophesies. I want to read you something from The Hill website. The headline is a question. The end of marriage in America? While it may not have ended, marriage in America has unquestionably declined over the recent past and is now at historic low levels for the country. Seventy years ago, a large majority of U.S. households, approximately 80% were made up of married couples. 
In 2020, the proportion of households consisting of married couples fell to 49%. It's almost a 40% drop. America is also experiencing growing numbers of women and men living alone, as well as increasing unmarried cohabitation. In addition to the 15% of U.S. adults living alone, no less than one quarter, 25% 25 of those aged 25 to 34 years are living with an unmarried partner. That is fornication. And it has increased drastically. American attitudes about childbearing and marriage have also changed markedly. For example, whereas in 2006, about half of U.S. adults said it was very important for couples having children together to legally marry, by 2020, that proportion had fallen to 29%. Today, the proportion of U.S. births to unmarried mothers is about 40%, double the percentage in 1980. In other words, fornication in this country has doubled since 1980. Known fornication. Other factors that have contributed to lower marriage rates, listen to this, are declining religious adherence to marriage. And a headline from NPR Ms. Pond sent it to me yesterday. Tells why there is a declining religious adherence to marriage. Listen. As attendance dips, churches change. Why? To stay relevant for a new wave of worshipers. Folks, churches no longer preach the Word. That's what Paul told Timothy to do. They no longer declare all the counsel of God. And so people have turned away their ears from the truth. Paul said the time would come when that would happen. And it's happened. We're living in that time. Time when people would turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. And the result is that the share of U.S. adults aged 18 to 34 who were married fell from approximately 60% in 1978 to 30% in 2018. That's just exactly what the Lord said would happen in Luke 17. There would be a change in the lifestyle, a shift from marriage to the people of this nation, as Jude tells us, giving themselves over to fornication. And that's precisely what has happened. But they've given themselves over to something else. That's just part of the lifestyle shift, the fornication. There's another aspect to it. The other thing that will happen is the people of this country are going to go after strange flesh, and they are. According to Gallup, in 2012, 3.5% of U.S. adults identified as 
lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. It's about 8.2 million people. I gave you the number a minute ago. In 2021, that number has gone from 3.5% to 7.1%, or 18.5 million people. But there's more. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2008, there were 540,000 same-sex couples in the U.S. And of that 540,000, 140,000 of them were married. Now listen, in 2021, there were 1.2 million same-sex couples. That's a 122% increase. And of that 1.2 million same-sex couples, 710,000 were married. So we've gone from 140,000 same-sex couples that were married to 710,000 same-sex couples that were married. These are the numbers from the U.S. Census Bureau. That is a 407% increase. Thank you, Supreme Court. Thank you, Supreme Court, for the Obergefell decision in 2015, among other things. This is the shift. This is the change in lifestyle from marriage to the people of this nation going, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. Folks, it's the days of Noah. People are still getting married. And it's the days of Lot. And so marriage is declining. There's this societal shift to fornication and going after strange flesh. Here's the point that we don't want to miss. When the days of Noah and the days of Lot exist simultaneously, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to come. We're celebrating His first coming, and we should. It is a glorious thing. Next Sunday night, the choir will be presenting the cantata. And I hope you'll come. They're working hard to get all of it put together. It'll be a blessing to you. It's the message of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world and why He came. He came to die. But folks, what a blessing it is to be able to celebrate His first coming and know that we're on the brink of His second coming. His coming is near, even at the doors. Are you ready? Are you ready? Has there been a time in your life when you came to the Lord just as you are, when you came as a sinner, broken over your sin against a holy God? Psalm 51 and 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. Have you ever come to the Lord Jesus with that attitude of heart? If you haven't, you can. It's the good news. You can come to Him right where you are. And if you'll come to Him with a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart, and cry out to Him to be merciful to you, a sinner, He'll save you. He'll take you and He'll wash you from your sins in His own blood. The blood that He shed for you on the cross of Calvary. But don't delay. Don't delay.
Don't put it off. The day of salvation is almost over. The Lord Jesus is about to come. And your opportunity to be saved will be gone. Call on Him today while He may be found. Father, we thank You for the miracle of Your Word, the accuracy, the pinpoint absolute accuracy. These things could not have been preached 10 years ago or 15 years ago. They can be preached today because we have gotten deeper and deeper and deeper into the last days till there's almost no more time left. We pray that You would speak to the hearts of each person here. If there's anyone here who's lost, we pray that right now, right where they are, they would turn to You from their sin. And Father, if we're saved today, we pray that You would help us to see that we are running out of time to take a stand for You, to live for You, running out of time to be found faithful when You come. We pray that You would help us to consider these things today and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.